Please join me in prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Wow, I didn't know the bells could make that beautiful, beautiful music. Wow, unreal. Takes your breath away almost to think about it, to participate in that. Thank you so much. Um, They'll be back. Yeah, good. Thanks, Beverly. Appreciate that. (laughs) Love that we've done with the Red Letter Challenge and the work that we've done in that as a congregation. People have responded so marvelously and positively about, hey, I learned this. I got that. My life group's cool. This is what I'm learning. This is what's going on. And, and, And in my mind, the back of my mind, I think a little bit, so what, right? So what? What, what? What does it mean and how does it work and what does it look like? And, and after we've gone through seven weeks of this, then, then, then what sits in your heart and what sits in your life? What difference does that make for, for you? So we connect to God, we grow together, we share Christ. So what? At the end of the day, how does it work? What does it look like? And, and, and do we really, do we really move the ball forward? Do we, do we really make a difference in, in people's hearts and lives? So... And this week, the, the, the last week of our Red Letter Challenge kind of answers the question, so what? So now what are you going to do about it? What's it going to look like? Because when Christians become kind of complacent and mellow where they sit, and they begin to build little enclaves and do their thing and, and, and become kind of fat, happy, and sassy, then the, 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 the power comes out of the movement of Christianity. Because Christianity is a, a movement. At least it has been since Jesus came to his disciples and he said, as the Father is sending me, so am I sending you. Get up and go! As electricity moves through a wire to a switch to a light and lights up a room. As it moves on that circuit from moving uh, quickly, 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 it moves from the oven to the range to... And then when the electricity's out... There's no effect, but when the electricity is on and moving, life is good. Homes are secure. You can have something good to eat. So too with Christianity, it's a movement of people. It's a movement of God among people. It's a a movement of God among people with a promise that is rooted for us in Jesus Christ. And it has driven, the, the, the gospel of Jesus has driven the movement of the church for over 2,000 years. And the so what is that the gospel goes into all of the world. And when Christians sit down and slow down and say, well, we'll just kind of wait and see how it goes. That's when the Christian movement struggles. That's when we become a stationary target for the evil one. Where apathy and rot kind of set in to the church. But when the church is moving and the church is up and getting after it, it's electrifying. Hearts and lives are changed toward Jesus. Communities are impacted. People's lives are made infinitely better and eternally secure because of what the church does and the message that the church brings. If you'd like to, you can turn in your Bibles this morning to 1 Peter chapter 3. They're in the pew rack before you. 1 Peter chapter 3 is at the end of the New Testament, the, the back maybe 20% of your Bible. I believe in the, in the Bibles, in the pews, it's page 934, but I didn't write that down, so I'm kind of giving it my best guess. And I'm looking at 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. 
And I'm thinking about what Peter was going through at that time as he was writing to his people in the first century. First Peter chapter 3, verses 13 to 18. And I'm going to read this because your translation and mine's just a tick different. And I like mine better, so it's all good. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an account of the hope that fills you. But do so with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good rather than doing evil. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Peter wrote, and he was in between two cruddy emperors, a guy named Nero, who you've probably heard of, and a guy named Domitian, who is every bit as evil as Nero. And things were not all hunky-dory in the Roman Empire. Things were getting a little messy around the fridges. There was a guy named Jesus, an itinerant preacher, who had made a lot of commotion in Judea and in Jerusalem and the backwaters of the Roman Empire. But he fueled a movement that was now gaining inertia and gaining steam decade after, after his death. From person to person, from village to village, from town to town, from group to group, from ethnic grouping to ethnic grouping, the love of Jesus was making its way across the Roman Empire. And the mark and the calling card of the Christian church was this, Curius Jesus Christus, Jesus Christ is Lord. And he'd kind of walk up to the guy and he'd say, Curius Jesus Christus? He'd say, yeah. Jesus Christ is Lord, or draw the fish, the sign of the church. And so in places like Jerusalem, Antioch, Philippi, Corinth, Ephesus, Thessalonica, growing more and more closer to Rome, the Christians had more and more influence. The movement became stronger and stronger. And the more that Nero and Domitian knuckled under and got after Christians, they just couldn't snuff it out because there was something resilient inside of the Christians. There was something that, that made them tick that if you killed one, 50 more would come back and they'd come back stronger and tougher. And they weren't afraid. When threatened, they didn't back off. And they did things in their community that made such a difference. They lived such good lives that the communities within which they lived were better because of them. And the movement was fueled and grew, even though it was filled with persecution. The last 30 years have been rough on the North American and the Western church. The headwinds are great, but so is the opportunity. And you can choose to look at the church and say, hey, we don't have the place we had 40 years ago, so let's hunker down and quit. Or you can say, let's rise up and go. The church used to be the, the, the place where everything happened. For 500 years, our culture, second to none, candidates were elected to political office because of their religious affiliation. We had no qualms about in God we trust on our money. There was prayer in public schools. Theology and the Bible were regular parts of educational curriculum. The Ten Commandments, pretty much everywhere. And not a controversy about that at all. 
and the spirit of the Ten Commandments alive in the justice system, alive in how laws are formed and administered. But then Christianity got a little insulated. Thought we had it all figured out. It's our leaders in our place, in our time, in our culture. We built the big buildings. We did the great works of art. We didn't just invent literacy. We taught people to read and write. We preserved Western civilization from the Dark Ages, and we are above all movements the one that will never fall to the side of the road. And then Christianity began majoring in economics and politics. And the preaching of the gospel took a backseat to activism. And our influence started to wane even when we thought we would, we would never have to look at the outside in, at culture. And now in 2019, it's kind of that way. It used to be people would come to church and say, I'd like to get elected to office, Pastor. Will you wear this button? And now I think they'd look at me and say, you just keep that button in your office. We don't want any of you weird church people, you know, getting after it. My grandfather was a pastor in northern Wisconsin with a black shirt and a black suit and, and a white collar and a pectoral cross. Grandpa Klinkenberg would go anywhere and they'd say, Reverend, Reverend, Reverend. And what they wouldn't go, what you would hear is, ooh, there's Reverend Hubert Amel Klinkenberg. He is one bad dude, close to God. And now I go over to uh, St. Joseph's Hospital to go make visits. There's no clergy spot to park in. I gotta pay six bucks to park and I gotta go and make my way out. I have to show them my business card. Don't you know who I am? I'm a pastor in a church. Not anymore. It just doesn't work that way. The culture is not driven by the church. And the church finds itself to agree to a degree like the time where Peter writes kind of on the outside looking in. And some wring their hands and say, well, this is bad and we're never going to get it back and it's not going to be this way. Others seek to go forward by going back to the old ways, clinging tenaciously to the traditions of the past, the way things were, hoping that by somehow tenaciously holding on to what we've always had, we'll move on to what's next, which in the history of humanity has never happened before. Just ask someone to turn off their smartphone and see the palpitations that they go through. Life is not going back, and the church is not going back. But I would offer from 1 Peter chapter 3 that the church is better off at the fringe than it is in the center. We're a better, deeper, stronger movement when we're at the fringe rather than at the and so Peter writes words that speak to our heart and soul this morning. Words that remind us that, that there's courage uh, among the people of God. If you look at that scripture, he's got four pieces for us here to think about. First, he says, do not be afraid. Don't fear what they fear. And what does the world fear? Loss of power, loss of influence, poverty, inconvenience. That life is not getting better and better. And we don't have our hope and our, and our courage in those things. We've got bigger and grander things that drive courage for us. 
Jesus said, he who is in us is bigger than he who is in the world. All the power of the government, all the power of the culture pales in comparison to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Anyone who sits on any throne anywhere is still under the feet of Jesus because he died and he rose again. And God put it all under the feet of his Christ. The one who will come back in power died in humility not political strength, so that we, we would be people not of politics, but people of love. And the faith that is inside of us is this resilient, resilient peace that you can punch me and you can push me and you can vote against me and you can take my money, and my, and, but I'm not going to quit. And I'm not afraid because if the Lord Jesus could go through death in the grave for me, What can mankind do? Peter looks at people who are ready to go into a difficult time. He says, do not be afraid. And then he says those beautiful words, which you could memorize and take home. But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. In your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Jesus is the focus. He was greater than Nero and Domitian, and his followers knew it. He's greater than every president, every king, every autocrat, every dictator, every czar, every judge, every legislator, every person appointed or elected or who has seized power. He is our Lord, and he lives and dwells in our hearts and in our community, not with judgment or power, but with grace and with love. He is your Lord. He called you not from a throne, but from a cross. And the good news is of his death and of his life. And it's that gospel, that good news, and believing in that good news that makes us children of God. His word speaks life-giving breath to your soul. When we celebrate Holy Communion like we did last week, our hearts nod yes. We gather together, we come here, our hearts nod yes, but you're darn right. Jesus Christ is Lord, and he's my Lord. He's called me by the gospel to be his own not going to be afraid because the Lord of my life is the Lord who rules over life and death and he's the one who calls me to go in his name then Peter writes this marvelous words always give account to the hope that fills you but do so with gentleness and respect always I love when he says always 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 be prepared. Not sometimes be prepared. Not kind of be prepared. Always be prepared. Because you don't know. When the tap on the shoulder is going to come and they're going to say, hey, you go to that thing with that deal on Sunday and my life stinks and I'm struggling and with, with work being so chaotic, you don't seem to be dying on the vine. What's going on? Always be ready to give hope. Always be ready to give account of the hope that fills you. Not pick your moment or wait until you're trained and ready. Always be prepared to give an account. The red letter challenge, that helps equip us. Connecting, growing, and sharing, that helps equip us so that when the tap on the shoulder comes, when the opportunity is to speak or to act, we're there, we're ready, and we're not afraid. For so much of Christianity, it's ready, 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 aim, 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 ready, 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 aim, aim, ready, ready, you got it? Eventually, what do we need to hear? Fire! Let's go, pull the trigger! Ready, aim, fire! The marksman doesn't get the points for putting the bead on the target. He gets the point for hitting the target. 
So much of Christianity is wrapped up in making sure that we have all the right answers to all the questions. And then we back up and we say, well, we're not sure we're asking the right questions. Stop aiming. Let's go fire. Not like a 30-30 rifle, but like a missile. Ready, fire, aim. Our young people will be coming home from college in the next month or so. You don't know where they've been or what they've been a part of in the conversations that they've had. But I can tell you, having been a pastor for 30 years, there's going to be some of you who are going to reach out to email and say, Oh my word, what did they do to my kid? I'm going to say, don't be afraid. Set apart Christ as Lord. And speak into that, not with a perfectly trained story of doctrinal content, but tell the story of your life and your faith and the impact of Jesus in who you are and what you're all about. He who is within you is greater than he who is in the world. You don't need to beat up, persuade, put a stick in the eye of anybody. Speak the truth in love. Always be prepared to give account of the hope that fills you. And the hope that fills you doesn't sound like, like a, a, a judgment. Oh, I noticed that you got your whole arm sleeved while you were at school in Arizona. Wow. Can we talk about that? As opposed to, oh my word, you are the spawn of evil. And what you gonna, ah! Suppress that. In the back of your mind, you're going, where did all the money I spent for college go? <laughs> and in the front of your mind, you say, gentleness and respect. So that your witness for the hope that fills you sounds more like kindness and encouragement rather than judgment. Gentleness and respect. And with that, your story sounds more like a story and a narrative than a lecture. Part one of my lecture is how sinful you are. Part two is Jesus died for you. Part three is what in the world is wrong with you? Uh-uh. When I was in college, here's what happened to me, and here's where I went away. In our family life, faith in Jesus Christ is the most important thing to me and your mother, and it sets the value system by which we live our lives. And let me tell you what that meant when we were your age, and we didn't have anything, and we trusted God to provide for us gentleness and respect not looking for a fight but looking to make a friend to share the love that transformed your heart with those you love more than anyone else in the world the story of your family spoken to your children and grandchildren that's what we're talking about here this morning so that the conversations are filled with grace and life rather than judgment and condemnation Peter then drops down and he says, if you're going to suffer, suffer for doing good. Don't suffer for doing bad. Any idiot can be punished for what they've done wrong. But if you're going to be punished, make it hard on the one who would punish you. Every time you turn around, make sure they got to say, man, we hate these Christians and we can't figure it out. But every time an orphan is there and every time a widow comes forward, they, they take the orphan into their home. And they feed the widow. They drive us nuts. They're finding and, and, and gaining power, but they don't have office, but they have influence, and the Christians are driving us nuts. In our own congregation, we've been doing focused work in our community, and that focused work is starting to make a real difference. About eight years ago, the chairman of our congregation, Jeff Lyle, said, hey, you've got to read this book. 
And at that point, we had all the trustees read the book, and it was called The Externally Focused Church. And I love what happened in that. Instead of looking to serve ourselves as leaders, we began finding ways that we could make an impact in the community. We answered the question, if St. John's Orange were to dry up and blow away in the wind, would anybody care? And I would offer that there's a lot of children in the foster care system who would care if we went away. And a huge number of caregivers that would care if we went away. And people being fed on every fourth Sunday, every fourth Saturday, would wonder where St. John's was. And the people have their children in our schools, a school that reaches into some pretty chaotic lives and brings grace and peace. They would miss St. John's Orange. So if we're going to suffer corporately and politically and economically as the people of God, by all means, let's do it doing the right things and making an impact in our community, suffering for doing good and being righteous in the name of Jesus is better than ready, aiming, never firing or drawing back into our fortress and saying, when the last person's done, please close the door and turn off the lights. Not long ago at the opening of the dedication of the new building at Concordia University in Irvine, I was able to visit with our former senior pastor, Pastor Ash. We have a very warm relationship. He's got a very nice wine cellar, and somehow I get talking after a glass of wine in a way that he just kind of smiles and he looked at me as an 80-year-old gentleman looks at a 55-year-old gentleman. He says, so how's it going? And I said, Norb, I'm weary, I'm tired, but I'm going to Hawaii the last week of October. I said, St. John's may be in the best place that it's ever been. He said, what do you mean? I said, it's not easy right now. It's hard. I said, the moment I quit leading, the moment I back off, the moment I take my foot off the gas pedal, everything kind of atrophies. So I have to stay on point and lead others to the same. I can never quit, never stop. You've got to keep leading and you have to keep going. I said, being senior pastor now is a whole lot harder than it was when you were senior pastor. <laughs> I didn't really say that. <laughs> But I thought it. <laughs> Don't tell Norb went. No. What I know in my heart is that there's an army of people here. And about 420 in here and about 500 over in the auditorium and about 225 here. About 211, about 120 in the evening service. It'll be about 1,500 of us tonight plus the 400 that will be at the concert. That's almost 2,000 people. A lot more than those to whom Peter wrote his first epistle. And I know in my heart that we aren't a people who are talking about going, but we are a people who are going and getting after life in the name of Jesus. Connected to God, growing together and sharing Christ, making an impact in our community. And I know in my heart that parents and grandparents are engaging in that conversation of life. Sometimes like they're going out on thin ice saying, oh no, what do I say and will they get mad? but doing so with gentleness and respect. So when that kid comes home from college, they just open up to grandma and grandpa and mom and dad. And you're able to speak into where they're at with courage rather than fear, with love rather than judgment. 
with forgiveness rather than harsh tones. I know that our conversations sound less and less like arguments and more and more take on the tones of love. And I know we argue less and less and our words and our conduct are more and more about life and salvation. Always be prepared to give account of the hope that fills you, but do so with gentleness and respect. Amen.